Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone. The next couple of weeks will mark kind of a new departure for sentimental garbage that I'm really excited to tell you about. So usually on the podcast, I speak to people about the culture that they love that they feel has been unfairly dismissed. But I'm also really interested in talking to the artists who created that work. I wanted to start with a scene that I find particularly fascinating, which is the early noughties indie twee era. This is the movement that brought us tote bags and ukuleles and arguably adult colouring books. It also brought us the Juno soundtrack and Zoe Deschanel and dressing like a 1950s secretary with a leather satchel. But despite how massive indie twee was, there's actually not that much about it from the people who were actually there. And now that it's having kind of a TikTok revival, I'm really interested in getting into the guts of the whole thing. So for the next two episodes, I'm going to be investigating tweeness in all its forms, talking to two creators. The first is Joff Owen from The Boy Least Likely 2, and the second is Rebecca Taylor, aka Self Esteem, formerly of the band Slow Club, which were kind of one of the last great gasps of uh, indie pop tween music. I hope you enjoyed these episodes because I loved making them and hope I get to do a little bit more of this in the future. Okay, thanks. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. My name is Carrie Donahue and I'm the ukulele you carried around but never learned how to play. Joining me is the man who taught Feist to count to four, Joff <laughs> Owen. Hi. You gave up at four though. I did, that was enough, yeah. Four is, I mean you don't want to get up to ten, do you? That's, yeah, that's for rock musicians to get to ten, eleven even. Well there was the famous falling out between you and Feist and now she can not, not count past four. <laughs> Very sad. So, Joff, you are, as I um, kindly said, as you walked into the studio today, the founding father of Twee, I believe. It was, re- it was really kind and really incorrect. But um, <laughs> I, I, I think we predated the revival by a couple of years, probably. So maybe we were part of a revival of it. But okay. we definitely weren't the founding fathers as people back in 1986 who would be very cross about that. Okay. So let's, uh, let's spend a moment on your credentials before we get into the meat of Twee. Um, you were in a band called The Boy Least Likely 2. Still am. Still are. Sorry. I need to remember that. <laughs> I still am. <laughs> well, you, you have many musical guises, don't you? Yeah, and I'm in a country band called Legends of Country. Oh my God, that's got a massive reach suddenly, hasn't it? I know. Like, You're going to be famous. I'm going to be huge. <laughs> How many listeners have you got? Don't tell like me. A lot, don't like tell a lot. Me, like... <laughs> now a lot. Um, but uh, you... Even if people didn't know they were consciously listening to you or they, pe- people have heard a lot of your songs. Yeah, I would say they've been like if you if you ever seen an advert for a bank where a girl's like jumping in puddles, that could be us. <laughs> or um, yeah, we've been like, we've been like in Easy A, we was in that and Peter Rabbit. Oh, wow. Maybe if you've got children and you've enjoyed Peter Rabbit, the movie, there's a bit where all the um, rabbits dance mm-hmm. in the allotment. That, that's, that's us. You? They're dancing to us. Yeah, I'm sorry. We're laughing, but that's incredible. Like it's a, it's yeah. a it is amazing. Rabbits to, dancing. To rabbit da- like, I know. Up, there's like canon of of um, British literature and children's literature is dance to your fucking yeah, music. I know. I know. <laughs> Can Johnny Burrell say that? He can't. No. <laughs> Although he did have a song in Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging. So okay. So he beat it fair. Did you? Still you resentful. Bo- you still, were both auditioning for that gig. Still were you? resentful. Yeah, that they got that. I don't know why we didn't get in that one. Yeah, it seems perfect. Pipettes did. So Okay. There was some tweet presents. There was some tweet presents. Um so like the the song I think you're probably most known for is Be Gentle With Me. Staring up into the solar system. I 
all of the bingo squares yeah. for, for things to include in a twee song yeah um, in that you've got the, the glockenspiel the banjo um, some, some mouth sounds mouth sounds but no recorder on this one we had recorder oh, right. on other songs I think the recorder was on the B side but not on the A side but there's a lot I'd say they're the three yeah but no ukulele you see no ukulele now this is interesting because obviously you're you can actually play ukulele can you no. <laughs> I can play the guitar, but not the ukulele. Although okay. I assume I can play the ukulele because I can play the it's guitar. It's quite small. But we don't, we've never actually... <laughs> Ukuleles really, are small, you say. And they're quite small. <laughs> it's quite small for the hand, I think. Yeah. I can't play guitar or ukulele, so it's fine. Okay. Um, wow. But we, we, never, we never used a ukulele. Oh, and yet they, all those kind of twee sounds and instrumentation kind of do get grouped together, don't yeah. they? Um, and, and the other kind of bingo square that you hit off with that song was um, just... Just linguistically, the sort of emphasis on sort of, you know, it's called be gentle with me mm. and this um sort of childish uh, thing of being afraid of spiders and that kind of thing. It's very, it's very sweet, which is a huge, you know, part of what twee culture is about is, is gentleness and kindness and sweetness. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, for some people, twee is an insult. And, for, and they, they, as far as they're concerned, they're just musicians making songs and, and being experimental with the kind of instruments they play and the kind of way they make music. And for some people, it was like a scene and they're ready to accept it was a scene and they're quite proud about it. And I think you're in the latter category. Yeah, well, and we're never self-described as twee. Yeah. Because it was always used as like an insult against us. Yeah. So, so was it, and I don't think it's been reclaimed yet. I sort of, now I'm starting to see people reclaim it a little bit. Yeah. Um. This band Heavenly have got these T-shirts that say "Riot Twee" on. And I feel Riot like, Twee. Yeah. So, um, that. so that feels like this sort of maybe people are starting to or just accept that it gets thrown at us. But we yeah. never self-described. We were just indie pop. That was just yeah. But Americans love Twee. I think Americans invented Twee. I think you so. see, I don't think I don't remember any bands calling themselves Twee over here. But then Americans were straight away calling us Twee. But they didn't think it was a bad thing. Yeah. So, so the the definition of twee, I think you've probably had to deal with this a lot over the years. <laughs> what would we say the, the definition of twee is? Okay, it's, for me, it's like so childlike mm-hmm. imagery, um, amateurishness. For me, was like yeah. and a sort of DIY approach. It was um, sort of non-sexual. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. Like friendship was more probably <laughs> pushed, um, and. Yeah, there's probably other, yeah, childlike. Yeah. And do we think that it was, okay, first of all, sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself with my theories, as always. <laughs> um, always a fucking theory on this podcast. <laughs> first of all, what I'm so interested in is your perspective on this, is that like, I'm quite used to on this podcast doing this thing where like, here's something very feminine that women have liked and loved and that has been taken away from them or, or you know, made to feel silly about it. And what I'm really curious about is that as as a guy making music in this environment, this this like quite, you know, feminine, gentle, sort of non-sexual or whatever, it sort of goes against what guitar music is supposed to be and what a man is supposed to do when he has a guitar or when he or when he's, you know, making mm, any kind yeah. of indie music or whatever. I know you don't play guitar, but um well, <laughs> just remind listeners I, he does not play guitar. This charlatan <laughs> in the studio today. <laughs> I can't believe I'm a better musician than you. <laughs> and you had Rashida Jones in your music video. <laughs> Don't tell her. Don't tell her. Um, um, what drove you to make this kind of music? And what, yeah, what was the experience of it? It was kind of, I mean, I got into it when I was younger, like in the first wave. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like 80s, late 80s. Yeah. When I was like 12 or 13, I really loved it. And yeah. um, it was just, in, and I had like, I had like a friend at school who got me into it. She was called Chantelle and she had a satchel and a duffel coat and the satchel had a name. So, you know, it was things. <gasps> the satchel had a name. Rupert there. He was, oh, was, God. She was called Rupert. So, it was, so she was into head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she was into it. So I got into it when I was younger. And then it sort of went, for, I tried being in a rock band um, with Pete, who's the other one in the Boy Slightly Too. Um, and we tried being rock and having guitars. And it didn't really, it didn't really sit with me. Yeah. In terms of what was expected of me as a man in a rock band or what was sort of going on, the sort of the exchange between between me and the audience. There's that sort of thing about the sort of great male rock artists yeah. 
which I couldn't really get on board with the seriousness of that, the sort of to be taken seriously. I didn't really, it's not that I didn't want people to take the records seriously, yeah. but me, I didn't want them, I didn't ever want that really. And indie pop was never about that. So what, when you were trying that outfit on, mm. what what were you kind of looking to, what were you trying to emulate and why Why exactly <laughs> did, obviously I, too, I totally understand that self-seriousness thing mm. of like, you know, if, if, trying to be Bruce Springsteen and trying to write yeah. about sort of like institutional poverty and trying to get out of this town and <laughs> all was, this stuff. Yeah, it was. I mean, we were probably trying to be like the Clash or the Manics. Right. I think there's that weird thing that people in men in rock bands do. I actually think women in rock bands. There's that sort of thing like they want. It's about sort of this weird admiration between the audience admiring yeah. the rock star and them sort of being misunderstood in some way. And I, I wasn't really interested in that. Whereas indie pop, Twee gave me a... The lyrics are very simple. That's the weird thing about indie pop. Like, there's no sort of misunderstanding. You know what yeah. they're singing about. It's very childlike and simplest, like, lyrically simple. So... You've just said so many things that I want to ask you about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really very... Wow. Um, let's go back to this idea of, like... Because I think this is you've really got to the heart of something that I'm trying to probe around in my own research, but I haven't really got to, which is with this this rock star thing. It is mm. you're right. It's totally about this kind of a uh, we're on stage and you worship us, yeah. and like whether that's in like you know the O2 Arena or in just some boozer in Camden or something. Yeah. That atmosphere is like you must worship me, like or whatever. And I do feel like for this whole generation around the kind of early noughties and that kind of thing, that just felt such like a silly thing to ask for or for to want or to embody that mm. moment felt like ooh, why <laughs> it was it was definitely yeah the enemy was full the enemy was, was definitely full of that sort of the, the sort of 2000s to 2009 was, yeah it, it was all those bands and it was all and it was just it was weird so <laughs> to it's a weird i mean i don't understand that so i don't understand what drives anyone to sort of want to sort of be misunderstood yeah, it's a weird thing to want, and, but it is. But it helped. But it, you need to be misunderstood to be a great and serious male artist. Yeah, that's why I'm not a great and serious male artist. Though. So when you start writing Boy Least Likely Two songs, when you hit on that sort of formula, was it a feeling of like release or joy, of being like, oh, we can just be silly? Yeah, I mean, it, the lyrics were always quite dark. I always felt yeah. like um, Pete was the silly one. Yeah. He, no, he was making very upbeat sound, you know, because he was sort of bringing in ABBA and ELO and all these other big influences into it, mixed with the sort of twee instrumentation. Um, but the lyrics were always quite dark. I mean, they were kind of dealing with sort of the fear of adulthood, the fear of growing up, yeah. fear of being alone. It, fear was, I was driven by fear. Definitely. And you definitely hear that in the lyrics, particularly on, on Be Gentle With Me. You're right. It is, there is a darkness to it. It's simple, but it's dark. You know yeah. what I mean? it's, it's very upfront about how it feels about itself. And that's, again, you've hit on something else huge about this, which is so, so much of Twee is characterized by a by a childlikeness and it's it, the inst instrumentation and even the album art as well yeah. has oh, often had you, you had it on your albums, but this sort of hand drawn quality. Yeah. Why do you think that so many people around the same time, so many people in their sort of early 20s or whatever, felt the sudden rush to go back to this kind of primary colours, Sesame Street sort of vibe? I think it was kind of, I mean, at the time, it was at that time, sort of early 2000s, it was like, sort of for women, you had raunch culture, which was just, yeah. seemed, I mean, it was that sort of its height. And that's quite a, a sort of, that was sort of dominating culture. And for men, you had, enemy sort of men and rock culture those yeah. were the two and it feels like it was just it just it was a bat it was battling against that it was just it was almost not even battling against it it was just like taking yourself out of the fight taking and saying we'll just do it fight. we'll just do this over here you need to do what you like we'll do this this is a quote i came across when i was reading about this that i've been thinking about a lot which was um and obviously everything that happens in the 2000s begins, anyone doing the sort of like laziest social commentary on it will always begin with, in the aftermath of 9-11. <laughs> and you can kind of root everything back to that, I suppose. And like, I guess it's the same with the sort of Vietnam generation or whatever. But um, the, the quote that this person came across was, um, or, or, or gave was, you know, there was this 
there being the sense of you can't affect anything and the world feeling um, so huge and so chaotic and people in charge feeling... I mean, there was that whole kind of era of George Bush being being very publicly an idiot and that being back then quite a new thing for an American president to be <laughs> like publicly an idiot and um, and, and the, yeah the, 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 that war, the war in Iraq feeling so obviously corrupt and so driven by profit, profiteering and then the urge to make twee things and to make little things mm. and DIY things and having a self-contained scene um, was the urge to make something small within something big. Do yeah, I definitely think that it's like the world just felt huge and sort of beyond. We we couldn't really, I must think that now, that you can't really make an imprint on it. Yeah, more and more. Um, and so you just end up doing your own thing in your own corner to the people of your village. <laughs> and um, yeah, and that's kind of what, I mean, that's what we started out doing. I didn't think we'd genuinely didn't think would be successful so when was the moment when was the success moment this is very each run it's probably well we'd made like a few seven inches and put them out and they sort of had you know the village liked them yeah. you know and um and then and i think it was probably pitchfork i mean we were rough trade album in a month and stuff so that yeah. was nice wow. and we'd been Huge. in vogue we'd been in vogue i mean i think our first vogue? our first press was vogue it was wow. awful why because it was great to be in vogue but i'm not i wasn't prepared to what to wear for a Vogue photo shoot. I had like a straw hat on and a biker jacket. I got it so wrong. It was sort of like a sort of Johnny Knoxville bumpkin, but it was awful. Yeah. Um, And then I was up a tree. Of course you were up a tree. (laughs) Oh, God. um, But it was nice of them to have us in there. And then we were in like, so in Sunday's Time Style and Elle magazine. So it was weird that the people, places that people were were coming to us from. So, very fittingly for this podcast, it was women's media. Yeah, and I'm yeah, it was yeah to begin with, yeah to begin with, and then I mean I think it always and our fan base was is still seventy percent women, and it was always like men would come up to us and say like, oh you're the band that I don't mind coming to see with my girlfriend. Oh wow, she's so nice. Of them. But then, <laughs> I mean, yeah. is it? <laughs> it's kind of a neg. <laughs> I mean. At least they were happy to be there. That's I true. Suppose. That's um, true. That reminds me of when men come up to me at book signings because they've come with their girlfriend and they're like, yeah, I don't usually use this kind of thing, but mm-hmm. I might but I might read this. Yeah. Like, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for this faint oh. praise you have damned me with. Um, yeah. So we, we did have, and weirdly, and then, I mean, there are some male fans who, are, and they're very passionate. They're the sort of, they're the ones that grab me by the shoulders in a oh. field somewhere to tell me I changed their life. Oh. Wow, that's so beautiful. <laughs> Which is really nice. Yeah, I don't really get that from from the female friends. It's that's okay. So, which is fine. I didn't want that. Remember, because I'm not a great and serious man artist. I am not so, a great and serious uh, man. Certainly. I mean, I do. You know, but actually, women have a lot of the tattoos. The boy is like two tattoos. Yeah, I, can, I can imagine that because your album artwork is so yeah. playful and easy to easy to get a tattoo of. Yeah, yeah, which is great. Yeah. yeah, great marketing. Plus, you get into a show for life. Yeah, everybody's like two tattoos for free. Oh, so we do like one every two years. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, okay. So you're you you get into this band specifically because you're working against that sort of great and serious mm. um rock star thing, and then you're uh, you immediately have a female fan base and women's media after you. So it's kind of like. I don't know, you've accidentally tricked the system. Or I know. Something. Well, that's the thing. Am I like? Am I then sort of like tapping into some sort of soft boy thing? Yeah. I mean, is that what I've done? Is this? Is, is that it, what you've is done? Is that behind the whole thing? Was I subconsciously trying to you to were... get women? Yes. Were you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was. I mean, come on, you I must was, have a bit. I was happy to be to have like women as the main audience. Yeah. Because I I understand, I get on better with women, and I understand nothing about men and the way men enjoy music because I think men in this is obviously going to be like very sweeping Uh but I think like women sort of enjoy it passionately and men want to enjoy it in a sort of knowledgeable way and they want to sort of you know they want to understand they want to know everything about it and open up the car the bonnet of the car and sort of go through and then be clever about it and I don't think that's the same um, 
from the way women listen to music. That is fucking fascinating. You've really got to something there, not just in twee, but in everything. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like, there's like there's different. I hope I have. No, I really I hope think I hope you have. I have something really, really wrong, but you can always edit it out. No, I no, I, I, no, I truly, I really do um, get what you're you're getting at because, and, and you, know, that's what this whole podcast is about. Is, yeah. As you know, is is the sort of just the, the passionate loving of things and. I have noticed that over the years and of the, the many boyfriends I've had, many boyfriends, um, and, and so many of those boyfriends were responsible for like getting me into a band or, or whatever. And, you know, I think about someone, I mean, Bright Eyes, for example. Love Bright Eyes. Everyone loves Bright Eyes. <laughs> um, I remember uh, an ex-boyfriend getting me into Bright Eyes when I was a teenager and, uh, you know, our sort of... Play, putting on you know the first day of my life because just because he's kind of queuing up a kiss kind of thing and <laughs> you know all that stuff and then I remember that that band sort of like laying an egg in my heart then and just <laughs> and just like like so many of my teenage memories are just like me in my room screaming to that song let's not shit ourselves and um just so many of that song just moved me so much and then I would I would go to him with with all this feeling that I had yeah. about this band that he had sort of given to me. And, and I was like, oh my God, like I just can't. Connor is in, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. He's so young. He's so handsome. And him just being very, like already, already very, like crossing his arms, being like, well, yeah, you know, I mean, Lifted is, you know, was, was produced actually in Tim Cash's basement. Da, da, da. And it being all this sort of like pitchfork.com. Yeah. yeah. Thing. And, and it um, looking back now, it makes me feel a little bit sad because I think, uh, you know, loving something passionately, openly so much that you bring yourself to tears every time you talk about it, yeah. it is a pleasure for, for women. I think yeah. it's hard for men to do that in public, hard to love things openly like that. Okay, yeah. I feel sorry for you. I I'm I feel like I I'm I don't fix I feel like I don't enjoy music. I, I don't I don't like to take it apart. I don't like to be clever about it. Well, yeah. I mean I can like learn about it. I, I don't yeah. mind, but it's not um I do feel like more affinity with that sort of passion the sort of passionate way of looking at it. Yeah. The way of a song just like inexplicably just really get into you and you're not really I don't need I don't feel like I've ever needed to explain why I like things, I just love them. Who who made you, Joe? <laughs> do you like? Did you grow up in like a coven of sisters who didn't? Let I had you a go lot outside? of. I had a lot of. Uh, my mum just had a lot of friends who just had daughters. So right. when I was growing up, I just had like friends who were girls. Uh, I love. And so the it got like raised with girls. Men. I think it was basically. And I went when I went to school, I was shocked at the behaviour of boys. Was it, was it all boys school? No, 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 that would be madness. That, but they, I was just You shocked. wouldn't be here today. You'd be locked in a trunk in a boarding school somewhere still. <laughs> I, I was just shocked that their, they'd, they'd come in combats because you didn't have to wear uniforms. So they'd be there in combats and yeah. with guns and guns. cars, <laughs> like toys, guns and cars. Okay. And, I, and I had a horse, a Cindy horse, which I loved and I'd take it everywhere Joe. with me. <laughs> I only had three legs. So it was quite a desperate, it's again, quite a, a twee icon. And I just loved horses so much, but I just and I, but I remember the other boys would not even I, even then I remember it being quite a moment oh, that that um, that I re I realised I didn't we weren't on the same wavelength. I just want to go back in time and have you be my son. <laughs> You're like, the I'm little sure boy I, was, I dream of raising. I'm sure I was a lot. I'm sure I was a very sensitive, delicate flower who needed a lot of care. Okay, so this so the delicate flower who needs a lot of care <laughs> tries rock music. And then um, gets finds it finds that indie rock and twee and indie pop and whatever. Um, and then you're on stage and you're looking at, at, at in a position you didn't want you did not want to be an adored serious man who's like got a distance between himself no. and the audience. And then you look down into your audience and what do they look like? What are they wearing? So I'm looking out at the audience and yeah, there's a lot of polka dot dresses, there's satchels, there's anoraks. Yeah, I mean it wasn't. I don't remember it being like a sort of uniform yet. This is the weird. I don't remember. I feel like the sort of the aesthetic of Twee in the in the sort of two thousands mm -hmm. comes later. I don't. It was quite a mismatch. I remember doing like the video for Be Gentle with Me and having to explain to a stylist what a like cutie or a Twee girl yeah. looked like. The no idea. Really. So well, that's so. What year is this? That's two thousand and five. 
Yeah, that would be before the, the explosion. Really, yeah, which I think aesthetic. it probably does in eight, does in nine. Yeah. Really. So you were there sowing the seeds. And I was trying to, and I was sort of finding pictures of like Amelia Fletch from Tallulah Gosh being like, they look like this. And I was like, oh, okay. And she got it completely wrong for the video. Wow. <laughs> well, really, really laying out your female you stylist. Know what? <laughs> no, not Mala, no, are you, Cindy Horse? <laughs> Obviously not completely wrong, but she, no, I get it though. But um, but she didn't. I mean, she looks great in the video, but yeah. No, but no, I, I, yeah. This whole thing of like noticing the tendrils of a scene sort of starting to knit themselves together, really, but they aren't. I guess you, we're still talking about something that's pretty underground, <clears throat> right? Like, like this is very much like a. I'm going to assume. Uh, MySpace and music blogs driven thing, right? I, yeah. I, I in researching this episode, I found a lot of like dot blog spots that were <laughs> covering a lot of these gigs, and like I, I had a blog spot and sort of the hand drawn, um, you know, graphics and everything looking a bit like yarn on the toe, whatever, <laughs> and like mm, my favorite gigs, and uh, I imagine like obviously there was the Vogue and the L stuff, but I imagine there was quite a network of like underground blogs run by seventeen year old girls. Absolutely going fucking hog wild for you. Yeah, there was definitely, yeah, it was definitely blogs running up to that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And they, yeah, they, I don't know if they were going wild for us, but um, they were. Um, and yeah, there was a lot of men on blogs. Yeah. Too, going wild for, they were going wild for us in a clever way. Um, yeah, so it was definitely a lot of blog stuff. Sort of 2005, album comes out on Pitchfork, cover it, and that's where it, which is like the ultimate blog pitch for. Yeah, it's just, of course. It's that sort of blog writing elevated to... And what do they say? They loved it. Yes! <laughs> New music of the week or whatever it was. That's 8.5. I know. And that was the one, that was the moment where I feel like it, things changed. Definitely for us, but maybe yeah. that was when things, that was when the sort of the sinks and the adverts and the films started coming. Uh, and I feel like that's when sort of it became a little bit main. I'm not saying it was just us. No, there's definitely but, a tipping point. Yeah. Yeah. It's when that's the point where like Twee becomes cool. Okay. Before like it becomes cool to be Twee, which is like a different it's a it's a curve. So it's so, explain more. So well, I love this. So when Twee because things are already Twee become yeah. cool, yeah. that's fine. When it becomes cool to be Twee, yes. it's <gasps> on the downside. Because it's not it's not authentic anymore. It's people Okay. And I'm not, I, no, I, no, I, no, um, no, of yeah. course we're talking in broad terms. But and yes. I'm not saying it's not it's not inauthentic. Cause I, I think Twee's very anti-authenticity. That's one of its other things is it's like that idea of authenticity. It's sort of playing with that. Go on. What does um, that mean? Which, it's that sort of like the authenticity of punk as well, which it takes its DIY from punk. Yeah. But then it takes, it's just sort of any sort of, it's amateur it's it's like anti-rockist you know the yeah. term rockist that sort of uh, which is about sort of yeah being authentic and like rock music being the authentic genre and yeah. pop music being inauthentic well indie pop's kind of taking that stance the sort of anti-rock anti-authenticity because the idea of the sort of that's part of the great male artist is the the they're authentic yeah in a but they're not really authentic to themselves they're just authentic to an idea of authenticity yes yes um, it's, it's it's a it's a vision that's been created for the mass idea of yeah. what an authentic person is yeah but it's but not it's the manicured thing yeah because it's not that's why I, and i think that is that when we were trying to be like the clash or the manics yeah we were trying to be authentic but it wasn't authentic to me yeah it wasn't authentic to that boy with the cindy horse <laughs> uh you know and, uh, <laughs> um so yeah it was and that, that and that's that's what Twee was against. That it kind of plays with that idea of authenticity. It makes it ridicules it. It's irreverent and it ridicules that idea of being a rock star, an authentic rock star. Bobby Gillespie in, a, in an anorak before he's a rock star is yeah. a, is wearing an anorak with leather trousers is a funny thing to do, and he knows that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and do we think like I was thinking well, sort of like places in the culture where maybe there were sort of seeds of it before we knew what to call it. And I think a lot about that Coldplay Yellow video, right? Of just Chris Martin alone on the beach with his big mm. bug eyes, you know, wearing <laughs> no. yeah. like, and like, even if you look back on that, you can see how people thought that they were going to be the next Radiohead, right? Like, yeah. it's like quite a bold thing to do in that year. I can't remember what year that came out, but it's, it is sort of that moment of like, there's something very, very exposing in a quite, in a, in a world where 
pop is so manicured. Like it's that, that, that sort of heightened to the, the Britney era, the Christian era, everything is so, um, and I like this about pop. I like that you, yeah. you're getting this whole. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com visual tableau that goes with the music and that's part of loving pop music yeah and rock music is is that sort of even the libertines were sort of spluttering out at this point and like they were being held up by the enemy as like the the authentic sort mm. of thing and and that was even a production do you know what i mean yeah. that like them them being these like coked out constantly fighting best friends was a a, a tableau in itself and so like having chris Barton in the beach in the rain felt like such a quite breathtaking do you know what I mean for someone to be so visibly uncool yeah. unsexy unbothered and so earnest and I do think Twee has its roots that that wave of Twee has its roots in that moment a little bit yeah I mean Chris Martin is a Twee icon not sitting well with me you can, no, but, you, can you can totally disagree but, with me but, but I think there's something in it I think there's definitely something in that sort of sensitive man that's coming through I yeah. think him as sort of this sensitive and what's great about him which is quite Twee He's not Twee, but is the Twee's quite anti-cool. I think that's another thing that drives Twee, which is sort of because cool and authenticity and they run there, you know, they run together. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, Chris Martin not being cool is, is yeah. definitely part of that <laughs> because because cool's another thing. At that time, like, you've got the enemy cool list and stuff. Yeah. Um, where they'd bring, you know, they'd have all their, you know, the people who were cool. And just the idea of being cool, like... Indie pop and twee comes from not wanting to be cool, mainly because you're not you cool. You can't, you can't be. Can't be. <laughs> so you yeah. feel immediately like we'll do we'll do something else. Yeah, because yeah. we can't be that. Because we can't. We don't want to be what you Taking think is cool. Taking ourselves out of the race, exactly. And that's the other thing where it becomes like where twee becomes cool, and then when it becomes cool to be twee, it's different because it becomes a caricature of cuteness or whatever. Yes. Okay. Let's talk more about that tipping point. So <laughs> okay. we know we know your personal tipping point, which was the pitchfork moment, yeah. which I can't imagine. How how old were you when that happened? Uh, older than older than you'd think. I was like uh, older than <laughs> you'd think. My trajectory. Yeah. No. I was like, I say. So I'm not still. It must have been. Str- like, it must be an odd thing to be like um thirty and being a new music of the week person. Like yeah. A... To get new anything when you're thirty is yeah. quite exciting. I mean self esteem who we're also talking to for this. Yeah. Like, she's been around forever and she's like being hailed as like a new and emerging artist at you know thirty. Which is amazing. Incredible. And, like, it gives me so much hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that extends into the forties. Um <laughs> Yeah. So that was just a weird day there when that happened to us. Like yeah. um we just came home and they from work and there were just loads of emails from Americans and American labels because you could still sell CDs then. Of Amazing. So we'd sell like, you know, tens of thousands of CDs wow. to American shops and it was great. You could actually make, you know, but it was like a little cottage industry. Yeah. But I don't, I think like in terms of what had come to this moment, it's probably like, I mean, I feel like the moldy features were pretty important in this. So, okay. What year is this? So we're talking, for us, it's like 2004, right as it turns to 2005. But we started doing things in 2003, but the yeah. mouldy features must be 2001. Yeah, and but obviously a huge tipping point of It's Cool to be Twee is the Juno soundtrack. Yeah, which comes out, uh, what's that, 2006, 2005, 2006? Yeah. We were yeah. on the trailer for it. We didn't make the soundtrack. <gasps> we didn't make the soundtrack. Bitch. That's what? It, I know. You were on the trailer. 
on the train. That's not fair. That's not fair. I know you still get paid, but it's like, oh, I just want to be on the... No one's like, everyone's, oh, should we watch Juno? Oh, should we watch, like, uh, should we watch the trailer first, though? <laughs> we should watch the trailer first. They or we could just watch the trailer. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't wait to go look up the trailer. Yeah. This is incredible. Um, so... That, yeah, that was, I mean, so for me, Juno, I was a teenager and um, loved the movie uh, and also, but also had a, an immediate resentful thing of like the adults in my life because that was like, you know, it was such a huge breakout. It was like a little Miss Sunshine moment. You know, Diablo Cody was one of the, like a screenwriter who became a celebrity because of she was such an unusual voice, mm. an unusual person. And it was everywhere. I think it got lots of Oscar nominations. Um and I remember the adults in my life being like, this is very you, <laughs> you know? Oh. And that's, I think that's a real moment because obviously it's a moment for me. So yeah. <laughs> therefore everyone should care about the nuances of my biographical details. But that thing of um, Juno, and particularly the Juno soundtrack, summarized a lot of things that was happening in my bedroom anyway. So like guitars, talking like someone, like an American on the internet. <laughs> and... um. Uh, reading a fuckload of blogs and, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, reading kind of things what, like American literature that was quite iconoclastic and it, once again, as you had before, playing with the idea of authenticity. So mm. I'm thinking like Dave Eggers and the heartbreaking work of Cyberine yep. Genius, Jonathan Safran Foer's Everything is Illuminated, like sort of the, the great serious soft boys of American literature yeah. were very much in my bedroom. Um, playing the guitar a lot and listening to a lot of um, folk music and anti-folk and Jeffrey Lewis and that kind yep. of stuff. And my parents were like, oh, we, we recognise this mainstream moment as being part of our teenage daughter's uh, oeuvre. And that being like, I like this movie, but I'm also resentful. And I think yeah. that's a real moment when something becomes mainstream, right? Yeah, it's pretty upsetting. If, if, yeah. it's upsetting, <laughs> it's, it's really upsetting for the subculture when the subculture go, you yeah. know, when you and you feel like your little thing is suddenly popular. It, it was upsetting for me, and I was, yeah, I mean, you were and you were part, of, you were the trailer, and I was, and I was to blame in some, you know, yeah, you were working, but in it was, factory. yeah, <laughs> basically, yeah, like the things like when people started to talk about like Sarah Records, my favorite label, which has been the sort of my secret, you know, yeah, it became quite upsetting, yeah, and I was. To, why play. is it upsetting, do we think? Because <laughs> it means your identity sort of becomes commodified in some way. Yeah. And that's upsetting, isn't it? Because you sort of feel like you, you can't be, you know, what the things that are special to you shouldn't be, unless they already were. Yeah. But, you know, they, and those things like the books and things, it is, it is sort of like the twee culture is kind of bookish and and sort of just finds these funny little things it's into. And it's yeah. all about that sort of, that treasure hunt for weird little things yes. that then you put together on your MySpace wall. Um, and then what I always think of as well is like the weird little things that feel so iconoclastic and 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 so it's it's a tweet is very much a curated experience mm. about finding the little things. But even those little things are from a bank of books that have been selected by the people at HMV yeah. <laughs> to put on the table. You yeah, know, it's yeah. like a girlfriend in a coma by by Douglas yeah. Kuplin or or whatever. Um, so that that's. Yeah, I, I can't quite wrap my head around that. So, okay, the Juno moment. Uh, is the so you're making money off of this, right? Like this is this must have been a pretty profitable time for you guys, yeah, right? It was a, weirdly, unexpected. Uh, no one was like expecting. And so, are we? Are we quitting our jobs? Yeah. Are we going out on the road? Are we kissing our babies goodbye? <laughs> like, I I, yeah, and yeah, like by the end of two thousand and five, we had like a publishing deal. And a record deal. We were signed to like um, Simon Fuller, Spice Girls manager. He started a label, so we signed with his label um, because there were no men worked there. No men worked. No there. men worked of his label. It was amazing because most you go into most record labels, you meet some A and R, you know, guy. Yeah. Complete chonker, and he's like there, you know, giving you the whole. And it's just like it was quite refreshing to go to a label where there were no men. But do you have the simultaneous thing of like your tweet has become mainstream. My parents are being annoying about it to me. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're making a living as an artist, which is incredible. Um, but you're still having this resentment that this thing that you love and, and have nursed the sort of like the tendrils of and has now become this mass product. So what's it like to 
have those things happening simultaneously? And I mean, was there resentment from other people as well? Yeah, I think that, I don't. I don't know if there. I mean, we we found it quite hard to do the sort of to be indie as indie as we were, and then to do things like sign with Simon Fuller. Yeah, because they don't go hand in hand. But it felt like that was another thing about Twee that I always liked or indie pop with it, it was kind of annoying like it, it quite it didn't mind poking the bear it was like quite like and even its own fan base yeah. it would sort of do things that maybe were a little bit annoying like what so, well i don't just i just remember the shows like for the bands i went to see when i like it was they were they were, they were sort of shouting each other you know they would be like people would heckle they would shout back it was like yeah. something they would and i think just that was sort of tapped into our sort of idea of maybe being a bit annoying but then you'd be surprised when the bear attacks you back. You're like, oh, I didn't think you'd do that. <laughs> I've just been annoying to be fun. Do you, do you think that what people found annoying was the sort of the... So just talking about the ways we've been annoying. <laughs> <laughs> do, you think, do you think what's annoying do you, about do you? you? Think people, <laughs> see what people don't take to about you. <laughs> no, actually, sorry, this is a, um, uh, probably a valuable segue, but like, I um I've wanted to do this episode for a really long time, and I've I've um and I usually don't tweet looking for guests. Um, I I started off sort of emailing people or whatever, but the thing about doing an episode on Twee is that like you have to be very careful with who you call Twee because yeah. you have to be very. I emailed quite a lot of musicians who who were active during this time. I got a lot of bounce backs, and <laughs> basically everybody ignored me. And, oh, you um, can always rely on me. Too. But yeah, a mutual friend actually set us up, which was brilliant. Um, but that's the thing of like, it was, people were vicious about this kind of music. I read quite a few reviews of things, not of you, but of like Lost Camp in particular, who, mm. who kind of came in 2008, 2009. Um, and at one point by the quietest were called reverse engineered pedophilia. Yeah, I mean, that's really mean. I don't know <laughs> That's re- and they were quite rocky, right? They, I mean, they were loud. They could go quite hardcore. They were loud. Yeah, they were yeah, loud. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So God knows what the quietest would have thought of us. I'm not even going to look that up. I don't remember being that universally hated. I must admit, like this, this is so funny because, like, I was talking to self esteem about this, and she remembers feeling quite, um, yeah, quite being made quite feel quite ashamed, really. But I guess you weren't. Not. Maybe the, maybe our PR, <laughs> our PR people just never showed me those ones. Like the enemy hated us. Really? That they hated us, and they wrote to our um, like our, our PR guy and said, "We actually quite they like, oh we actually quite enjoyed the show, yeah, but we're never going to write about them because they're the most unenemy band ever." Which obviously we put that straight in quotes on the press release, but um, that is brilliant. It though. was it, I was really proud of that. So the enemy were always nasty, and they gave us three out of ten which is really mean that's really and i can't even find that review and obviously i I didn't keep a copy of it so i I don't know i don't remember what way they were mean but everyone else was fine pitchfork were nice to us and and the broadsheets were always nice to us people wouldn't that's the weird thing maybe i only kept the nice ones but i was looking through trying to find some bad ones so i could say just how mean people have been to me and actually, that's I couldn't not the way find your brain all. works. It's quite lovely that you just clearly don't hang on to these things. Yeah, and I guess yeah, and the our PR guy obviously didn't either. He didn't send them to us because I looked through. I searched all his emails. He didn't never send us a bad one, but I guess they were out there. Yeah, it, but it, I didn't find any. So. No. <laughs> we were universally <laughs> loved. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because I think you're right in that. Like Americans felt more welcoming of the genre. Yeah. In general, they didn't really see a problem with it. It didn't. Yeah. It wasn't like an affront to their masculinity yeah. for male rock journalists over there to to like us. Yeah, and like I guess there was just so and there was so much coming out of there, like like your right eyes or whatever. And there was a uh, you know Saddle Creek Records mm. who were like putting out coloring books. Yeah, um, <laughs> we never did that, yeah. and that's really twee. That <laughs> this is actually something I'm very interested in. Um, is I think. Something that helped create the Twee aesthetic was the fact that there was is tote bags. I think mm. I think Twee is responsible for tote bags yeah. in a way that we will never quite appreciate. Yeah. Like pe- people remember that moment in the noughties of like this is not a plastic bag bags, but yeah. like yeah, like bands putting out their own sort of tote bags or whatever that became such a signifier. Yeah, 
for a certain kind of person who listens to music and um t- you know kind of t-shirts that were looked very kind of homemade or whatever badges and it was this real merchandising boom that happened that it really exploded as cd sales were falling mm. so it was like pe- bands trying to close the gap by putting like basically becoming a, a mini urban outfitters yeah basically and it would i remember a band we toured with called the bicycles they'd sewed sleeves to put all their cds in yeah so little bags everything came with a little bag which was really nice but it did sort of because cds were always quite ugly and i think people have sort of suddenly realized they didn't have to buy all these sort of weird plastic things they yeah. could just download it or steal it yeah which is so so you had to sort of entice them in, in a different way be like with a badge or a hand-sewn cd cover it was there was a lot of that definitely. That's what it was quite nice. I was kind of like the sort of cottage industry thing. Yeah. I mean, it feel, did Etsy exist? Did I invent oh, Etsy? Did, I think you may have. <laughs> oh, amazing! <laughs> what a life. Did you? What a huge life you had. <laughs> um, did you feel like I remember a lot of bands around this time uh, having blogs or like really um, like Amanda Palmer or Kimya Dawson having this real direct relationship mm. with their fans. And that sort of added to the sort of, even though Amanda Palmer wouldn't call her twee, um, it added to the sort of aesthetic of like, we're just a big family in here. We're all just having a laugh. Come come have some jelly in the cup, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, did you feel like you had to do that or did you do that? No, I, I had a blog. Yeah. Which, and I loved my blog. And it was definitely, so, but that came from like fanzine culture. Yeah. Fanzine culture was the same sort of thing in the 80s. Like all the people that were running labels were also running fanzines. The fanzines sort of gave birth to the labels that then became active. Um, like Sarah Records was yeah. like two fanzines coming together to make a record label, which then kind of had the same feeling as a fanzine. So the blog was just an extension of fanzines and like tape swapping and and all that stuff that went on in the 80s. Just went, yeah. It went to like MP3 file sharing and and blogs. It's, it's that sort of like that poison chalice of streaming, right? Because obviously everybody knows streaming has ruined the music industry it has made it not an industry but kind of a hobby now because it's just so hideously difficult to get paid for music now but at the same time is there this kind of upside i don't know i hesitate to say upside but for me like i streaming was the thing that took me out of sort of mainstream radio listenership in that like having limewire and and downloading all these songs that because i didn't it was maybe the kind of the golden era of streaming in that like Downloading a song would take four or five minutes. Mm. Downloading an album could take a day kind of mm. thing. So um, you were quite sparing with how you yeah. did it. And so you would download a couple of Bright Eyes songs or a couple of um, Chairlift songs or Regina Spector songs. <laughs> remember Chairlift? I do remember Chairlift. <laughs> or, and then you would like, you would have them on your MP3 player going around in the loop and then you might go and buy an album. And that gave you access to all this American music. And I remember... It was back when America still felt like a really exciting place where exciting things happened, which obviously it sort of feels like, like not that anymore. But um... yeah, no, it doesn't. It didn't. It, but but it was a it was a scary place though because it was like two thousands. Anyway. Yeah. But like the idea is the golden age of streaming. Yeah. Like the, the when you it took a day to. Yeah. But actually, it was because you had an iPod, and I was thinking about my iPod earlier and how much. I loved curating the iPod yes. and you'd take stuff off if it didn't work. Because if you just press like play all, what yeah. happens if, you know, what happens if Golden Touch comes on? Uh, I <laughs> you know? still love that song. Oh, met a girl with a golden touch. It's so creepy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, or, I guess it is creepy. It's just something a bit weird about it. It's just like, I just think, yeah. You toured with Larry the Light, didn't you? Yeah, Andy, it's actually the drummer from Raisin. Andy is on yeah. drums on the first Body Slight to album. Probably the second too. You're a rock pedigree. Yeah, so so we are, we can be taken seriously as rock musicians, you see, because <laughs> we know a rock star. But it was like I got. I remember having like a sort of e music account. Did you have one of those? No. Where you got like fifty credits a month, and you'd really carefully select what songs you'd down, and then yeah. you put them on the iPod. But it felt, it felt more fun than streaming. I don't. I, I wonder now if this if streaming is so easy. Uh, the weird thing I suppose for people now is to try and encourage people to buy something from them yeah because you need some sort of income so everyone is like i said a lot of badges <laughs> everyone I've ever, yeah in, in a everyone in a band it's kind of gonna be a cliche now isn't it of like what's the hardest thing about being in a band being a t-shirt company yeah basically <laughs> <laughs> 
That's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. But you kind of need to do that because, yeah, no one's really buying your music. But I think that's... That's something that Twee got out in front of because everything... Because people identified so strongly because a lot of the singers and songwriters and musicians had blogs and identities and personalities. And that was the first time that we could really do that of like, you know, reading Kimya Dawson's tour diary. And like, I just I remember this very like strong memory of reading about how she was really struggling with um, uh, reusable nappies for her child. That's great. And, and just being like, yeah. that, that being this weird thing of like this person who is huge and on the Juno soundtrack yeah. and has really sort of changed how girls are writing songs in their bedrooms, which I think is no small thing is also just struggling with childcare and I'm reading about it at 2am in my house in Ireland kind of thing. Yeah. And that really blew my mind. And so I think Twee then having even a shit drawing on a t-shirt by an artist <laughs> was felt so amazing. Yeah. And particularly after, you know, big CD, big music or whatever, of everything being so gleaming and shiny and like going to sort of a Britney concert and having just sort of a print of her face on the t-shirt and that's it. And, Britney will never know. <laughs> yeah. She would never know. She wouldn't know. But if you buy like K Records, like you could buy a t-shirt where Calvin from had drawn, yeah. had drawn the cat. He yeah. drew it. And you'd seen a picture of him drawing them. Yes. So you knew, so that felt so special. And even like, and even if you're buying a Moldy Peaches, I bought a Moldy Peaches t-shirt off Kimia at a wow. gig because she was working the merch store and she was there. And it did feel like there was sort of a, a smaller... A community but then as that community gets bigger then you know when you get to know her in the whale you're not buying a t-shirt off yeah so um, so okay we were we were we were going on the on the timeline let me see how much speed time we're so over time but okay, okay yeah. <laughs> so we we've talked about the sort of the peak of like everything exploding and and musicians making a really quite decent living off of this and then where does culture really turn to the point where it becomes a bit like oh god do you know what i mean um, I feel like I don't want to land them in it, but I feel like, well, I don't know because there's like a few things where I think that it becomes mainstream, and there's um, knowing the whale that five years time song yes. feels like that for me is the peak, the point where it's cool to be tweet, and it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't. I did quite like the song, but I'm also like, what are you doing? Going to see the fucking elephants. Oh, at your age! Wow. Oh my god, <laughs> you lived long enough to see yourself become the villain. I know, I know. No, I don't. Mean... No, I do. Th I think you're right, though. I think that was the tipping point. Of, and then I Come think they, on, then, lads. I, then I think they gave themselves away by going all Springsteen on the next album. Yes. And it's like, ah, oh, so you wanted to be great and serious male rock artists all along? Knew it. <laughs> Knew it. Just for parity, uh, Noah and the Whale were one of the people who did not respond to my emails. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and that's nope. exactly why we... What I find so haunting about that song, because you're right, it was when Twee really hit Radio 1 in mm. a big way of like... And yeah, you're right, the, the ukuleles, the five years time, we'll be walking around a zoo. But what I find strangely prophetic <laughs> about that song is that obviously... Laura Marling is on that song. Yeah. She used to be in that band. She used to date that guy. And then in, in five years time, this girl in the band will be like hailed as the next Joni Mitchell and probably is the next yeah. Joni Mitchell. Like she's like one of the most iconic folk singers of her generation. Yeah. And you will be a joke. And she, exactly. And she doesn't give She doesn't care about those fucking elephants. She's not <laughs> going to, the, she's not going to the zoo with you. <laughs> she, Yeah. And but she, because she's kind of tweet like that for that first she EP, was, she, right? That, Ghosts it, was such a, and, a very tweet song. Yeah, new romantic. Yes, is, is I mean that's just. But then I feel bad calling that tweet because it's just like simple. It's great, but it's like it's also it's like story led sort of um, songs that that feel a bit like fables as well. Yeah, but it's story led and it's simple, so it's actually it it could be country as well. You know, it's yeah. like traditional country is the same thing. It's story led and it's simple, understandable lyrics. So I remember what, being make, quite yeah. sad when Laura Marling became a serious artist. And that's the thing, because I was sort of I, listening to I love to that her. album the first, the yeah. next, yeah. <laughs> and as you listen to her music, it gets more, more difficult to understand immediately. There's something about those early singles where you're just like, I get it, I know what she's singing about. Yeah. And as it goes on, you're like, mm, I might need to have some sort of... <gasps> Laura Marling <laughs> is the serious man of twee. Yeah, oh God, she... <laughs> oh, this is awful. <laughs> 
You're I've probably t- a I've turned against her. I've turned against women now. It's just... <laughs> you hate women. <laughs> um, right, we've talked a, we've talked a lot about a lot of different stuff, and I'm just very excited by all of it. Um, what's our like? What's next for Twee? Because the reason that prompted this whole episode is that it's coming back. Yeah, we could call, cottage core. We could call Twee. Yeah, dark academia has sort of elements of Twee. Do you know about this? I do not know about dark academia. What is that? So I, I write I write YA. So yeah. I have a, a sort of finger in those pies. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, dark academia is sort of based on uh, the secret history and um, all these kind of sort of like preppy but with a goth edge. Okay. The idea of like berets and uh, lots of black coffee and, okay. and knowing a lot about classics. Right. In, okay. in a sort of like a wry way. Okay. That's quite. It, it, that sounds it's Twee, like, but someone's been murdered. Is the yeah, thing. it sounds like sort of bookishness, which is sort yeah. of like, although Twee was bookish, it was never. I think that's what Americans got a little bit wrong when they did Twee. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't quite announced like not the whole of America. Um, (laughs) Is that they got? It it was quite. It was quite bookish and quite clever and a bit arty and a bit more like hipster. And even when I read things about Twee now, they're just talking about hipsters, like sort of that whole. They're not like when people sort of saying, you know, beard oil. That is not Twee. Like, but they, they sort of get lumped in together, and that's sort of that because it's bookish and it comes from sort of like yes. Morrissey and things, and you know, and it might look the same. Yeah, in it, that it looks like a guy in a tweedy sort of yeah. atmosphere thingy yeah. or whatever. It looks the same because it's still dressing like your parents yeah. and being, but it's not the same because it's still built on that sort of idea of taking yourself seriously and being taken seriously, which is twee and being cool as well, which are all non-twee things. Yeah, because twee is anti-cool. And that that's right. It's like, I used to think that Twee was sort of led by a sense of, um, you know, kindness and, and sort of wide-eyed innocence and that kind of stuff. But after after our chat, um, <laughs> I am sort of starting to see now that, like, it is about, yeah, like, seeing something that's so obviously cool and making your camp elsewhere kind yeah. of thing. Because I mean, hipster's very authentic as well. It's that idea of authentic, you know, going yeah. back and dressing like you're from the 1890s. Growing, but it's that sort of like yeah. an authentic idea of what's authentic, and Twee isn't that. Twee is like I tell you what's not authentic: a satchel, a duffel coat. Yeah, you know, these things because they can't be taken seriously. A recorder, a ukulele, yeah. a glockenspiel. These things can't be played. They can't be mastered. You know, they can't. You can't master the ukulele. You can only play it kind of badly. Oh, that's. A recorder, like how good can you get a recorder? That's so true. Yes, and it's, I guess if you're coming out of this like. Guitar solo yeah. kind of culture. Look at look at this guy <laughs> shredding his guitar. It's like, look at me on my recorder. Yeah. Here's my yeah. recorder solo. I mean, it's going to sound amazing, but it's also not going to be. Yeah, it's going to be difficult for people to go wild. I and that. I think actually, I think it was like an Esquire review where they did like a sort of of like twee from like 2006, where it had like a table going up to ten. Kittens was ten. Yeah, Ben Sebastian were like seven. Concretes were three, and we were nine. Nine? Yeah. And they said at first they liked us, but when they came to see us and we had a, a recorder player, they were like, that. No, they were out. Wow. You know, the recorder player, a woman. <laughs> wow. Amanda Applewood. Thank, who, thank, yeah. thank you for your service. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda! Like, it's Amanda. So, yeah, that, not just a woman. Um, it was Amanda Applewood, who's Eva Rice, who was on your podcast. Who was one of our first ever yeah. guests. And uh, yeah, she was the recorder player. We gotta get her back on. She's the best. Yeah, I'm she, obsessed with that woman. She get her on to talk about uh, recorders. Before we go, what is your favorite Twee song that isn't your own? Five years time. Now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, that the Moldy Peaches. Um, what's the one? What's the big one? You cut this bit out while I remind me. My favorite Moldy, Moldy Peaches song is "I Like Giants." I like giants, especially girl giants, because <laughs> all girls feel too big sometimes, regardless of their size. Oh, God, that's really good, isn't it? Yeah, um, good. that's really good. She's really good. I yeah, hope she gets in touch. that's a Kimia solo. Tried to email her too. Oh, you didn't get? Oh, you tried Kimia? Yeah. Well, I tried her management company. You know, yeah. I don't. I don't think management companies forward things on. Truly. <laughs> no, it's probably true. And 
Yeah, she, maybe she hadn't listened to the podcast. If she had, she would have definitely replied because it's just so yeah. Yeah. But she probably gets a lot of people want to talk so. about Twee, yeah. and she's like, she I'm is not. very much the first lady of Twee. And she wouldn't. She probably doesn't want to be because that's none of us want to be Twee. You seem fine with this. I've I've come to terms with it. I found a place to be comfortable with it. But um, I don't think any of us used to self-describe as Twee. Now I'm just like, well, yeah. I'm just glad to get any attention. <laughs> If someone's talking it's, about us, that's amazing. It's been lovely giving you this attention today. <laughs> Thanks so much for all the attention. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. This has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue. The podcast was produced and edited by me, with mix and music by Harry Harris and artwork by Gavin Day. If you'd like to email me about the pod, you can do so on sentimentalpod at gmail.com or get in touch with me directly on Twitter or Instagram at ZaraLine. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.